Welcome to Church Unscripted this week. Thank you for being with us, and we'd like you to subscribe or hit the notification bell, um, or you can hit the like. I really like the like, too. Um, if you have an idea or something that maybe you hear shared um, in this episode of Church Unscripted, please comment below and interact with us this week. But I have Pastor Eric here and uh, Courtney, our women's ministry lead with us this week, and we just started a new series, Eric. So I'm, I'm going to come with a softball question to start it off. I think, Eric, you probably can answer this. Courtney, no offense, <laughs> but this is a quick, easy question. Who is Nehemiah? Because we started a series on Nehemiah. And what's his significance? Like, what what matters about Nehemiah? Uh, Nehemiah is a big deal in the Old Testament, but not just for the Old Testament uh, for us today. Because uh, Nehemiah um, really really had no business doing anything in Israel, except for the fact that he remembered his heritage and he remembered that um, he has a people that, that God called him to serve. And so there, there, unfortunately, there had to be a crisis that compelled him to, to get in the center of God's will for his life. But uh, he, was, he was living in the Persian Empire okay. in, a, in a great gig serving the king as the cupbearer. Uh, and he had life uh, as much as luxury, as much as of luxury kind of life as you could imagine. And then uh, he heard of the plight of his ancestral home, Jerusalem. And he decided, you know what, I've got to do something about this. And so he led the charge to rebuild the city walls in Jerusalem. And well, he- Before you say anything, yeah. he wasn't an engineer though, right? No engineer. He had no building experience. All he had was a vision and he had leadership. And so that's sometimes I think what we all really need to focus on is we've got a vision, we've got some leadership and, mm-hmm. and that's part of the purpose of this whole series is to empower each other to live in the vision and also the leadership that we believe God has put in every one of us so that we can satisfy what he's called us to do. So Nehemiah is a big deal. He's one of my favorite uh, Old Testament characters and that's true for so many people. I mean, a lot of people maybe haven't opened the Bible to Nehemiah because right. it's in the Old Testament mm-hmm. and kind of skim over it. And so, um, but Nehemiah was dealing with some some grief and some anguish yeah. is the word you use. So like you said on Sunday, um, when you're overwhelmed with anguish, your response shapes your future. So I'm going to ask this to Courtney now real Sounds quick. Sounds great. But how do we respond? Trump. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Uh, with what we're facing that's leading us to anguish, whether it be in our home or job and just in life. You know, like some people are in anguish about life. Some people are in anguish about a job or home. So how do we respond to what we're facing when we're facing anguish? It's a good question. Well, I think uh, part of the answer is in the question. You have to face it. So... You can't run? I mean, uh, (laughs) you just, you have to face it. And like, you have to feel it and mull it over. I think what, just to back up a little bit, what I love about Nehemiah is he was a man who allowed his heart to be broken the way God's heart was broken. And that's how God ended up using him was through what he felt through what God was feeling for his people. He immobilized him through his broken heart for his people. So um, I think, I know this is jumping to the end already, but Eric's take it homes were just spot on, like sit in it. So you have to face it. Now, that doesn't mean I do that well every single time. Sometimes I do like to avoid it for a day or two. Um, Sometimes it just takes me time to process it, to be honest. Um, Process it by way of knowing that it's there and then eventually being able to name it. I loved the journaling aspect of it that you brought in there. But um, if we don't face it, then we are going to numb and buffer and do anything but what it is that God is calling us to do. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, and I look at verse four. This is like the profound verse. And I, I shared this last week. And I think it's important that we highlight it from what you just said. As soon as Nehemiah heard these words, he sat down, he wept, he mourned for days. He continued fasting and praying to the God of heaven. That was his first response. Mm-hmm. So he kind of basically sat in the pain right away. And that's something I think we all need to do. But Eric, like sometimes something's leading you to anguish. I mean, whether it be personal or whether it be corporate as a church, you, you've been at Brookside long enough or even been in church ministry a much longer time. So when you're led to anguish about something that happens in the church, how do you deal with that? When you can't fix it. I mean, you just can't fix it. Right. <clears throat> so l- let me try to answer that by, by qualifying what I mean by anguish. Okay, so I think yeah. there are micro pains. There are uh, unreasonable pains. And then there's actual pain that causes anguish. So the difference is micro pain is, you know what? They said something mean to me um, or they hurt my feelings, whoever that is, right? Or whatever They didn't pick they me said. for the softball exactly, team. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and sure that might cause you pain, but honestly, it's a fairly micro pain. Give it a day or two, you'll be over it, right? Yeah. Um, other pain is unrealistic, unreasonable pain where it's you're honestly making a mountain out of a molehill. And it's just like, calm down, mm-hmm. all right? Mm-hmm. Just relax a little bit. Um, don't be so sensitive and you'll get over it. Now, you wouldn't want to say that to someone's face that can be very (laughs) insensitive. Uh, But the reality is we each go through kind of pains and after a little bit, we're like, okay, I'm just overreacted. So I don't think Nehemiah's story is one of those kinds of pains. The pain that I'm talking about, the anguish I'm talking about is something that happens probably once, maybe twice in your life. And I'm talking, and it doesn't mean that you can't apply the principle to other kinds of pains, but he is almost at this point in his life, almost halfway through his life. And we don't know anything that he did outside of this vision. Mm-hmm. And I think what I'm trying to say is that there are pains that you can go through that maybe they're micro and you can apply the principles of how to sit in them, linger in them, pray over them. But if, we're, if our radar is not up uh, to the thing in life that really breaks our heart more than anything, um, then we need to have our radar up for that because that's usually the conduit through which God reveals his purpose to us. Um, and so if you, there, there's been times people have visited uh, like a third world country and they've seen the affliction and poverty of the people and all of a sudden their entire worldview shifts mm-hmm. and they realize this is what God's calling me to do. And instead of ignoring the pain of those people, instead of dismissing it or something like that, they, they linger in the pain, try to reckon, how can this happen? How can these people experience this? And all of a sudden, God begins to develop a passion and a vision inside them for that. That does not happen more than once or twice in your lifetime. Um, That's what I think we're reading about in Nehemiah. However, that macro pain and the way he dealt with it can still be applied to some of the micro pains uh, that we deal with, perhaps on a weekly, monthly, even. I mean, we don't want to be going through that. If it's a once or twice in a lifetime thing, it's not like, I mean, we're talking like loss of a child, loss of a spouse, loss of something grieving something that's deep. I mean, he yeah. feels like it's a loss of his nationality basically, yeah. or his ethnicity almost. Right. right. And that's on a deep level. So uh, do you have anything to add to that, Courtney? I, I, I feel like there's- I mean, there's yeah, after, after you went back to Eric, I realized um, probably the biggest thing to the question that you asked me, what do you do it, face it. Um, I realized like really you just have to bring it before the Lord. You have to take it to him and pray. So I think that may have been a better answer as far as that's a good <laughs> answer. Where to begin? Just pray. Yeah. Right. Where to begin? Well, and I think I think Nehemiah is overcome with emotion, but he yeah. what's his first action outside of those emotions that morning, that anguish, he goes to pray. Mm-hmm. So so 
this, you already answered my question. So, like, basically, I had a next question, and I'm like, you already answered it. Uh, sorry. No, ask it that. anyway. Maybe, no, so, maybe so a different thought. How did Nehemiah respond to this disgrace and this despair of the people in Jerusalem? I mean, that's kind of giving away the next four sermons, but he led in leadership, he prayed, but then what was his action? I mean, I, I didn't go through the rest of chapter one, but what did he do yeah. as a result of that? that that's, a, that's a good question. Actually, let me turn that question back to you, but ask it in a little bit different oh, way. So oh, listen, man. You're always the host, okay? This is my time to steal a host position <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, and ask you. So, so over the course of this summer, we're gonna see the practical ways that Nehemiah dealt with that anguish and pain in a very godly way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it might be appropriate to compare what he did to the typical behavior that a lot of us have when we experience an anguish. So my question back to you guys is, how do, how do most of us um, respond to anguish, anxiety, and pain in unhealthy ways? Oh gosh! I mean, if you—that's a big—that's a big deal. No, so I—I uh, I had something I was going to unpack later because it ties to one of your take homes, but I'm going to jump ahead and then go back a little bit. So you—you—you you, you said in one of your take homes, and I love how you did your take homes. Like you just said them because that gave me tons of content for this. I was like okay. thinking about how to say this. So you said, "Don't numb the pain, linger in it." I think that's along the same lines because really, what our unhealthy reaction is to pain is to numb out. So Nehemiah's response could have been to ignore the plight of the people. Like how many times have we driven by a car accident, not even wondering, not stopping, oh, there's an ambulance there. Oh, there's someone by the car, not even knowing if that person's alive or well. We just do it because we're so used to it. Or we see things on TV or we see shootings or we're, we're numb to the pain of other people at times, including the pain that affects us. So I don't enjoy sitting in pain. I call it sitting. I don't call it lingering, but I call it sitting in pain. It's the opposite of my personality. I would rather deal with conflict and tension immediately. It's gotta be like right away because if I have to go through the tension for three more days, it's gonna drive me nuts. Mm -hmm. So, and some of us are like that. Some of us don't really care and we're, like, what do you do to numb the pain? Like, so, how so, do you avoid it? So I'm going to tell you the bad thing, okay? Can I yeah. tell you the bad thing, the unhealthy part? So the unhealthy part is I want it fixed now mm-hmm. and it makes it really easy to fixate and focus on something completely different. So it's it sometimes it's go. social media. Yeah. Sometimes it's TV. Sometimes it's um, just doing anything but staying in the present. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? So like, yep. so for example, it is healthy if I'm dealing with something that's painful to go for a walk, but it's not healthy to put myself around people so I don't ever have to think about things or make myself busy or work too much or whatever it might be. So I learned a couple of years ago to sit in the pain and to realize this is just a part of life. And we're gonna have painful experiences no matter who we are. It's a different measure maybe, or maybe there's once, twice a life events. And I realized something recently, the healthy way of dealing with it was something that I have not done well. So recently, and Eric, you know this, and I I think I've talked with Courtney about this as well, is recently we celebrated one year since my youngest son was in the hospital. And I realized that celebrating one year from getting a diagnosis that was devastating, life altering, um, changing for a whole family, being able to celebrate that one year anniversary instead of looking at it in the negative aspect, but look at it as like God's provision and bringing us to Brookside and just everything that happened with that, I think flipped 
the reversal. I, it became like a Nehemiah moment because in out of our anguish and sadness, we went to God and said, okay, what are you gonna do with this? And he did something with it. And I think that's sometimes what we need to do and realize like in that moment of pain, yes, we need to sit in it. Yes, is it sad? Yes, are we gonna have tears? Yes, are we gonna wonder why God's absent or we feel God's absent? Um, but those landmarks are the best way I've found to to linger in that pain, to sit in that pain and be there in that pain. So the healthiest way I found is being present in that moment and realizing the impact of that moment rather than uh, eliminating the impact because I don't want to feel it. Like we compartmentalize feelings. And so like we have a deep moment like Nehemiah's and instead of mourning and weeping and fasting and praying, we're, um, hey, is the next episode a, on or, hey, are we going to do this? Or, hey, what are we doing tonight? Hey, we got to go to this. No, like we need to talk about this as a family. We need to do things as a family together to move ourselves forward. I don't know. That's like, you, no, I realized I, exactly, I was thinking about this like really deeply right. this week after yeah. you said that. Cause I was like, don't numb the pain, but we all want to do that. So court, see, you said both of us. So I'm flipping it to Courtney. <laughs> Courtney. Oh, I have many answers. So, um, I am good at numbing the pain and I have learned to, to not go there as much as I used to. Anyway, I could numb the pain with chocolate. Nice. I could <laughs> chocolate. numb the pain with Netflix. Mm, good choice. Um, I could numb the pain with just opening up my phone and choosing whichever social media site and just kind of doing this. Scrolling. Yeah. And anything to make me not think about what it is that I should be thinking about. Right. And that said, I believe our brain is is trying to preserve us. It's mm -hmm. constantly mm -hmm. trying to say, this is bad for you, so let's do this. It's constantly um, gauging everything and trying to protect you. But really, we need to say, no brain, this is what I really right. do need to sit in. And I love that sit in it. Yeah. And I have a great example. So it's my turn to tell a story. Nice. <laughs> um, so based on what you said, John, about just sitting in it and reflecting, um, this past year was really a difficult year for my family. About a year ago, we were looking to move. And when then we moved here. Um, and I'm a type of mom who just like takes pictures of everything and anything. I may never do anything with those photos, but I have a camera roll on my phone that goes back for years, maybe mm -hmm. even a decade. I don't even know. And so when I accidentally would scroll too far back and find some memories of back in California, I would, I would feel that pain all over again, like pain that I hadn't yet processed yet. So um, at the end of the year, sometime in, at the end of December, I knew going into 2023 that I wanted to purposefully heal, I guess mm -hmm. you could say, um, and plan and, and be open to what 2023 had for me or or tell it what I wanted it to have for me. So I took my phone and I, I made sure everyone in my house was off doing something. And I went into our little sunroom and I sat in a cozy chair, but I knew that what I was going to do is a lot of crying. And so I took my phone and I went back to before the pain started happening. And I just went through and I went through all of the memories and I cried and cried. And I just knew that I needed to feel all of this. And I feel like that was such a good, a thing that I, I don't think I had ever let myself do before. And I just sat in that pain. And at the end of that, um, you know, you don't feel so great when you're processing through that pain, but you do that hard thing. And then you, you've processed it to the point where it now has less hold on you. And so then I was able to look into my 2023 and create some goals and look at hope and 
That, that's really good. So what you're telling me us is, is that because you suppressed that pain for so long, mm -hmm. it prevented you from looking optimistically towards the future. Yes. All right. That, that's a good point. So what are some of the other uh, unhealthy negative results of oh, suppressing pain? Anger. Uh, <laughs> anger. Anger. Did you sure. get angry? Yeah. Oh, for sure. Ang anger towards God or anger towards others? or Everyone. Like, that's why I'm like, okay. Everyone. Anger at the dog, anger at the door. It doesn't matter. Well, dogs are easy to get angry at, <laughs> yeah. so I get that. Especially kids. Yeah, just like an underlying level of sure. anger. Mm -hmm. Bitterness, um, resentment. And granted, I did fight that to an extent because I know what I know, but uh, it makes you short-tempered and just quick to be in that well, old self. That's I think something I'm hearing that's kind of developed out of what we just shared is like, you have to process the painful emotions. Mm. And if you don't process them, you're going to lead to unhealthy behaviors or patterns. Definitely. And like, it's going to, it's going to hurt you inside. Yeah. How do, I mean, this is not even a question I thought of before this, but as we're talking, I'm thinking, how do we allow margin and space to process those? Like, cause I think you have to be very intentional. Like you were very intentional. 100%. You described it. Yeah. Like the way I've been intentional is I'm trying to celebrate more milestones because I am like thinking about the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And so how do I look forward to what's happening in two months? Yeah. Well, how do I look back and realize we processed that or this? Um, and I think we're not trained as human beings to process our emotions later. And in the moment we do suppress them, we like, mm -hmm. okay, that didn't feel good. I don't, like your, your body naturally goes into protective mode, mm -hmm. you know, and you don't want to talk about it. You don't want to think about it. And I think in some ways it's really more about processing than it is about like right feelings. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? I mean, you were talking about crying. You don't necessarily have to cry. Right. But it's more like get the feelings out that you were feeling in that moment that did not feel good. Yeah. Whatever it was. But a lot of, I think, there's a lot of us who think we're really self-aware, uh, but I don't think that any of us can reach our full potential of being self-aware until other people step in and are allowed to speak into our life. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think when you have a pain, um, you can perhaps get this far, this close to dealing with the pain of it. However, I think if, if, if you don't have other people like counselors or trusted friends or family members speaking into your life, then you remain unaware of the effects the pain is having on you. And so it might have required, if you didn't do it yourself, for someone to step in your life and be like, Courtney, you, you seem to be a little bit more angry. <laughs> I, maybe that did happen. I don't know. Um, no. okay, She's just good. laughing. I'm no, like, I mean, maybe. <laughs> yeah, did it happen a lot? I don't know. Uh, or somebody said, you know, just feel distant. You feel like you're disengaged. There's something going yeah. on. And you're like, well, I don't feel like I'm disengaged. Yeah. And then once you talk through it, you realize, oh, okay, wait a minute. That, that mm -hmm. pain is really having an effect on my life. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I imagine of all, of all the people that could dismiss the pain, Nehemiah is one who could have. Mm -hmm. yeah. He could have said, you know, I don't have time. I'm serving the king of Persia. I don't have time to go there or deal with this. I've got enough stuff on my plate. I got to make sure the king doesn't get poisoned, you know? Mm -hmm. um, he was also very analytical. Oh, so absolutely. we assume that analytical yeah. people can't have emotions too. And he was, right. he was emotional and, and cared. Mm -hmm. And that's something we ought to be aware of. And that is that each of us process pain and anguish uh, a lot of, in a lot of ways, according to our personality. Mm -hmm. And if you're kind of like me, you're like, okay, if I can see the next project or the next thing to drive to, then I don't have to worry about things in my past. Just dismiss it, you know? Yeah. But if somebody perhaps is a more uh, an emotional kind of a person, 
then maybe they just need to have fun or just laugh more or yeah. watch Hallmark Channel, which is a terrible idea, by the way. <laughs> Why do you look uh, at Courtney when you said that? I don't, I don't know. Because it's not I me. Wish I wish I did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we like her. She hates Hallmark Channel. Good for you. Uh, so I think you have to be aware of how your personality responds to pain yeah. and then be open to other, speak, other people speaking yeah. to it mm -hmm. because without their help, counselors help perhaps. Mm -hmm. um, you really can't see just how it's affecting well, and you put you put three people in the category friends, family, and counselors. Yeah. I think it's really hard um, to speak into your spouse's life. Mm -hmm. I mean, they'll listen to you. They love you. They care about you. But sometimes you'll say something 15 times and they haven't listened to you yet, but they might have a third party or a friend or something say something. So sometimes it's, it's a multitude of wise counsel. I'm not mm -hmm. saying that because right. spouses don't listen to each other, but you're so used to each other. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like your kids. Do they listen to you as much as they listen to their teacher? Never. Right. Like, I don't know anybody like that. Well, this is why the church is called in the New Testament to bear each other's burdens, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, so that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So I, I, I think that's really, really important. One of the things that... Um, chapter one had that I thought was kind of pivoting a little bit out of pain, but into mourning a little bit when he mourned. Um, and he prays almost, let's see, what is it? Verse five, all the way through. That's a long prayer. Verse 11. It's, yeah. it's a long prayer. You, you, said, you said on Sunday, mournful prayer always produces humble repentance. Okay. Can, can we somewhat unpack that? How can mournful <laughs> prayer lead to humble repentance? What does that look like? Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't want to sit, I, again, I see a picture of mournful prayer that's like, I'm crying in the closet and I don't know what's going on and I'm mournful, but I don't really feel like that's what his prayer is. It was a little bit more confident than that, but it was sad. Yeah. So what does that look like? What is mournful prayer leading to? Yeah, I, th I, think, I think this is, this is an opportunity that those who have the Holy Spirit in them have a unique privilege to do. Because when you have mournful prayer, you're not faking it in any way before God. I mean, there's oftentimes I'm praying, I'm like, wait a minute, I think I'm just giving God a canned prayer right here. I'm just praying for the sake of praying. And I, honestly, my heart's not into it sometimes. But then when you are living in a significant pain or an anguish, and then you start to pray about it, it is 100% you that is coming to Jesus. Um, and there, it's absolutely raw. Mm -hmm. um, if you have ever wanted to yell at God, then that's the time you mm -hmm. yell at him mm -hmm. and you feel okay doing that. So it's, it's the authenticity and the genuineness that I think God is looking for in a mournful kind of prayer uh, to, for the Holy Spirit to reveal what's going on. Um, and I think that's the Holy Spirit that can, that can in, your, in your mourning, remind you or reveal to you perhaps where the source of that pain has come from. Now, if it's not for you, then it's not from you, then perhaps there's not a repentance that's needed. Perhaps mm -hmm. it's a forgiveness that's needing to be given. Mm -hmm. yeah. If the pain is coming from somebody else, maybe it was somebody in California that caused you all that pain. Mm -hmm. Maybe the Holy Spirit's revealing to you, you know, the way you're going to get past this pain is by calling them and saying, you know what, we were great friends. And I just need to let you know that, that this event really, really hurt me. They might be completely unaware that it ever happened. And you just need to say, I forgive you for what you did for me. And I wonder if we could be friends again. And I think the Holy Spirit can do that. Now, in this context, in Nehemiah, what Nehemiah realizes is that it's, it was the sin of his people throughout history that caused this. And God promised, he said, hey, if you follow me, then what did he say? Um, uh, remember the instruction, if you are unfaithful, I'll scatter you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them. 
and so he, that's what God said through their history. And they decided to step out of God's design for their relationship. And I think when he prayed this morning for prayer, Nehemiah recognized, uh, man, we kind of messed up a little bit. And so a humble repentance in this context is, how can I and my leadership help bring my people back to center? With so, so a couple things that yeah. made me think of when you were saying that is one, that was a collective prayer. He did it on behalf of the people. Mm-hmm. It was a put, like a, a collective. Yeah, he said, and, we have acted wickedly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so maybe this is a little bit of a, a cul-de-sac, but I'm thinking Jesus-centered homes, okay? Yeah, How do right. you have a Jesus-centered home and pray like Nehemiah for your family? How do you repent of not leading well in the home? Or how do you repent of something that you have wronged and have the humility to share with your kids? Oh man, I, th- I think especially in a marriage, in a family context, if, if you're not willing to take ownership yourself, then you're not really a part of the solution. You become a dictator or an autocrat, an autocrat and you just say, you guys screwed up and I'm gonna be the heavy hand of punishment here. Mm-hmm. But even if someone in your family takes takes credit or takes the blame for something that happened, mm-hmm. especially as the father and as the husband, you need to say, well, I thank you for your awareness and thank you for your sensitivity. But you know, here was my fault in the matter too. And we're a family unit. And so we did this together. And yeah. if we miss the mark on something, it's not my wife's fault. It's not just perhaps my fault. Maybe it's together. We didn't, we didn't hit the mark where we should have. So it's, it's, a, it's together. Oh, it has to yeah, be. So yeah. We, right. Courtney, you got ideas on that? I mean, that's, I'm always, I'm always interested in that because I feel like there's a lot of specifically men that don't take accountability. They, mm-hmm. don't, they don't own their family's mistakes mm-hmm. and they start pointing fingers within the family. And mm-hmm. so like, I don't think that's the way Nehemiah led. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I agree 100% with what you're saying. Um, I think between my husband and I, he would be the first to apologize. So I have a little bit more pride to work through than he does. However, I mean, we, we know like we can't be humble before God and prideful at the same time. And I think sometimes like if we're having a minor problem, not a grieving loss of a person, but like something that's bringing us to the feet of Jesus because we are so upset about it. Oftentimes it's because we want it our own way. Sure. <laughs> and we forgot that God's actually in control of everything anyway. And so we forgot that we, we said that we would surrender to him, but we picked it all back up. So I, the idea of, of mourning or being upset until you realize I, I am still his child and I may have made mistakes. Um, I think absolutely going to the people, whether it's the children, your husband, your wife, and setting it right again and getting all on the same page about it. It's really easy to be unified when everyone's winning. Right. It's really hard to stay unified when you feel like everyone's failing. I mean, watch sports. I mean, when your mm-hmm. team wins, everyone's giving each other high fives and hugs and, you know, great job. My team did great. But watch when they fail. They start biting at each other. Well, and, I, I, I don't want to go too much on a tangent, but everyone gets a medal nowadays, right? So that's, it makes it <laughs> yeah. really hard because sure. we have this culture that says mm-hmm. everyone's a winner. Right. And it's more, I, I look at people and I... I the resilience that Nehemiah had is he was losing. He started this chapter. Chapter one, he's losing. Chapter two, he's still losing. You're going to get into chapter, the end of chapter two and chapter three, and it's going to get worse. And so I think like in some ways, we need to teach our, our families, our, our kids to be resilient and move past when we're losing. But one of the things that, that Nehemiah does here in his prayer that you mentioned on Sunday, and it was actually in passing towards the end. You said, turn your lament into a prayer. 
some of a some of the people watching they may not understand what a lament is. What is lament? And I mean, I I struggle with lament because I see laments kind of turn into complaint. Yeah. And so, how do you drive that line of a lament versus a complaint? That's that's a really good question. Uh, to the first question, if if you want to see what laments look like, just read through the book of Psalms or read through the book of Lamentations, right? Okay. Yeah. And so it's all laments. And I think to the second question, everybody has lament because everybody experiences pain and anguish. Mm-hmm. The difference is it turns into a complaint when you have no authority beyond you to bring a solution. It turns into a prayer when you believe that the God you serve actually has the power to do something about the pain. And so if, if you're experiencing an anguish beyond your ability to control or to manage, mm-hmm. then there is nothing else outside of you that can actually help you. And so complaints come out of despair. Uh, Mm -hmm. complaints come out of there is no other option except to express the pain in a way that can't do anything for me. But when you believe that there's a God that can actually save me and give you hope, then all of a sudden there's purpose in your lament and you can turn it into a prayer because you believe that you're giving it over to the one God that can actually speak into it. And that's why, that's why scripturally speaking in the new Testament, it's, it's lay it at the foot of the cross, right? Cast all your cares on him for he cares for you. He's not casting all your cares out into the universe and hopefully something good's gonna come back. Mm-hmm. It's cast all your cares on him for he cares for you. Um, and it's, it's do not worry. That's a theme in the New Testament. Do not worry, do not worry, do not be afraid for I am with you. And so it's, it's a difference between who are you actually presenting the lament to. And the, the lament ends in hope. Absolutely. I mean, it's a, it's yeah. a direction. Courtney, do you have something to add to that? Or? Um, I was just going to say in Psalms, you can read, as you're reading through them, if you read many of them over a course of time, you find a pattern that sometimes begins with some statements and then it begins with some feeling of despair and hopelessness and why Lord this and why Lord that. And, um, and then it turns because there is a moment where the author recognizes God and his part in it. And I think has turned over their part in it to them. And I think it's such a great example of how God wants us to interact with him and give him the real and don't hold that back, whether we're journaling or praying or screaming out loud at him, like get that lament out of your head and turn it into hope, but know that you have someone a God who wants to hear it because he knows it already. But if you're going to withhold it from him, what kind of relationship is that? That's what I've discovered in my personal I feel like there's a theme today. If we process something, it leads to health. If we don't, it doesn't, even with the lament. And if Nehemiah just sat there and mourned and didn't pray, Mm -hmm. that book would look totally different, right? It wouldn't look the same. So I, when you were mentioning lament, I just keep thinking of one of the Psalms that I read um, frequently um, this is going to sound like I'm honestly depressed. So everyone's going to take this the, the wrong way, but I, I thought it's a great example of lament. So mm-hmm. Psalm 13 starts with how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? And there's yeah. people that are watching right now or listening to this and going, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Mm-hmm. But the end of that Psalm ends with, I will sing to the Lord because he's dealt bountifully with me. Lament always ends with who the character of God is. Like it's always, this is who God is. This is how great he is. And he can change what's going on. Um, it even, even another part of this, consider me and answer me, O Lord, my God, 
light up my eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death. Is David being dramatic or what? Yeah, he, I mean, he was seriously. Very dramatic, I mean, seriously. Like we yeah. we we see people that are struggling, and I'm like, if you read the Psalms, this is the feelings that we're feeling. This is the things that we're thinking. And so, I, when I look at Nehemiah, Nehemiah is both repenting, he's lamenting, and he's moving forward. So. I think he processed things in that prayer and that led to what happened the rest of the book of Nehemiah, which we're going to hear about soon. But you had, you had one last take home and I, I just want to touch on this. I've got a big question, Eric, and I think it's both for you and for Courtney is, so at the end you said, see the action faith is driving you to and watch God meet you there. Okay. Now that you can take that a bunch of different ways, but I'm going to, I'm going to focus in on how can we lead from within? That's kind of the focus of the series. How can we lead from in, not just in the church? Okay. People might apply to the church, but in our homes. And that really means if we're going to be like Nehemiah, we're going to have a Jesus centered home. So when we see that, that something is, is lingering and God's glory is not being presented to people, we are going to stand up like Nehemiah and mourn and pray for others and their salvation. Mm -hmm. So what does that look like? <laughs> We're both oh. looking at you. It's <laughs> yeah, time for you to answer. <laughs> just still thinking. Yeah. Um, not in the church, but okay. just in your home. Okay, so yeah, in, in my home, but also... I think we need to create margin in our lives. Like you, I think you said that earlier today, create margin so that you can see and, um, and pick up on those things and have discernment. Maybe a kid is hurting and he's not being very vocal about it. And mm -hmm. so you stop and ask the questions yeah. or um, uh, back to the reference of a car accident, like be the person who pulls over and says, hey, is this, has someone been called or, you know, um, Mm -hmm. I think it takes a courage to a courage and an awareness. And I think we can pray and ask God for those characteristics. And I think we act them out in our home by, um, as parents treat your children like that, like you're there to serve them and show them who Jesus is through your actions. That's, that's a really good answer. Um, really to take that same thought, give a different example to it. I think there are several families at Brookside who have grown children who have abandoned faith in Jesus. Mm -hmm. And that is the pain that they're, they're lingering in. Yeah. That's the pain that they've been mournful over. And they've probably done the journaling thing. Mm -hmm. They probably turned their uh, lament into a prayer. And I hope that they will never stop doing that um, mm -hmm. until their son or daughter comes back to Jesus, yeah. right? However, the last point, the last take home I made was, you know, when you're done praying for your son or daughter, and then you say, Jesus name, amen, right? Mm -hmm. What is the faith driving you to do? And so perhaps it's the Holy mm -hmm. Spirit saying, you know what, don't just pray for them, but when you're with them, be as much like Jesus to them as you mm -hmm. possibly can. Yeah. Um, still send them notes perhaps. When you're with them, be careful of how you speak mm -hmm. because they are watching if if the claim of your Christianity is consistent with your behavior as a Christian. Yeah. Um, so, so I think it's for those people dealing with pain, it's, it's more of don't just pray for your kid, but make sure that your behavior in front of them mm -hmm. is as Christ-like as possible. And I think that's something of an action that their faith can be driving them to. Um, one, one thing um, per, personal, and by the way, what time is it? How much time we- We got, we got uh, this, we're good, we're good. Okay, so, so this is um, a couple of weeks ago during church, I mentioned that I had something to share about this. I think it's fitting here, um, but 
but I, and, and this is going to be a sneak peek. The people watching this are going to get to hear this before anybody else. But um, here, here's the story and here's how it relates to this Nehemiah. Uh, for several, several years, I have been uh, taking some medication for, for like heart stuff, like cholesterol, triglycerides, um, those kind of things. Um, and so those have helped get all those numbers in the right place. Triglycerides, cholesterol numbers are all in the good place right now. Uh, however, now that I've turned 40, my doctor recommended that I um, get a heart CT scan. And so uh, you can do that at mm-hmm. any of the hospitals. It's 50 bucks, so it's nothing, right? And, and that CT scan is meant to discover if there's any kind of plaque and calcium buildup in your arteries, which of course, if, if there's a lot of it in there, could lead to heart attacks, strokes, so on and so forth. And so given the fact that um, I'm, I'm still young, I'm active, um, I did go online and I looked yeah. at what are the risk factors to having plaque and calcium buildup. It's, it's like a lazy lifestyle. You just sit around all the time. You, you drink too much alcohol. You smoke too much. Um, none of that is true for me. I, I was going to say that's yeah. all you, right? Yeah, it's that's all exactly. me. That's <laughs> yeah, none of that is me. Um, a, a terrible eating habit. And um, I could probably eat better, but that's really not me either. Um, and, that, and then the other ones were high stress level and then um, heredit, heredity. And I inherited it. Um, and so I thought, you know, going into this, they're probably not going to find a whole lot. Then, then a week after the um, CT scan, the doctor's assistant called me. He said, hey, we got to get you back in here uh, because, uh, and this, this might scare people. And uh, for those of you watching, uh, I'm okay right now. This <laughs> yeah. might scare some people. Um, they said that we got to get you back into because um, for 40-year-old men your age um, and your situation, you're in the 99th percentile for plaque and calcium buildup. And that freaked me out. And it got me really scared. And all of a sudden, this, this new pain that I've never experienced before just started rushing in. Um, and, and it really scared me because I thought, oh no, I've got a death sentence now yeah. and I'm going to have a heart attack when I'm 45. I'm going to leave my family and my kids behind and it's going to be a disaster, right? And so for that first week, it was, it was really kind of depressing and I had all kinds of despair. And there were times in that moment or in that week where I thought, what do I got to do to take my mind off of this? And so I'd go into my garage and do some woodworking or I'd call some friends. I'd keep myself busy with church and, and sermon prep perhaps. Um, and then I realized it's, it's, that's not helpful. Mm-hmm. And so I began to, to linger in that frustration, in that despair um, and started thinking through it and praying through it. <clears throat> mm-hmm. and, then, um, and then I had a thought that I've never had to think before. And, and that is that um, there's been so many things in my life, whether it's my leadership, my pastoring, my preaching, whatever it is that, that God has, has had to be my sustainer. You know, God is our sustainer has, is a consistent thing throughout the Bible, right? And that's been true in so many ways, except I've never had to have him be my sustainer for my health. And so for the first time in my life, uh, coming face to face with my mortality, um, I've had to begin to see God as the sustainer for my health. Um, and, and it's interesting, when I had a follow-up appointment with the doctor, you have four arteries coming in and out of your heart. One of those is called the widow maker, right? That's the one artery you don't want any plaque buildup. All of the plaque buildup was in that artery. And so that made it even worse. Um, and so I began to pray. Um, you know, God continued to be my sustainer of my health. And then a thought occurred to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in your weakness. And so even though those passages I've had memorized for years, right? They all of a sudden came alive in a new way. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, similar to the process Nehemiah went through. It's he experienced a pain 
And then God stepped into that pain with him and brought him some hope and some revelation that encouraged him in that. And I think that led Nehemiah Mm -hmm. to saying, all right, God, now I'm going to uh, focus my entire life on the purpose you've given me. And what this has done is it's, you know, what this could do to me is take me out way sooner than I ever want to go. But what that means is, am I about the business that God has called me to? Am I being the husband and the father that I need to be? Am I being the pastor, the shepherd over Brookside for as long mm-hmm. as I can possibly be here? And I hope that's into my 80s and 90s, right? Um, but I don't want it to happen soon. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and thankfully, there have been other people who have stepped in and given me encouragement. I got an EKG and the doctor said that, um, that your heart is strong. It's pumping blood well and everything. I've got a cardiologist appointment coming up. But, it, but when I started reading Nehemiah, that was the personal story that, that really hit me. Mm-hmm. You said that Rex asked you on the, on the phone earlier, you know, what was your most recent pain point? Mm-hmm. This is mine. Yeah. And it's easy for me to keep my mind busy from it mm-hmm. or to occupy my mind from thinking about it. But I think when I did, God reminded me that he's the one who sustains me. Even if, on the, even if everything else I do is a healthy, healthy lifestyle, he's the one who sustains me. And if I live off of his grace, because that's what's sufficient for me, not anything else. So mm-hmm. um, this has become really personal to me through all of this. Wow. Now, I don't yeah. know if that was so the right good. time Thanks to share for that. Sharing so that. Thanks for I, don't, sure. I don't want people to, to freak out or anything. Like, is my pastor going to have a heart attack next week? I don't, I don't think so. No, uh, but, I, but, but I think, but I think it, it's important that you share vulnerably like what your yeah. head is processing mm-hmm. as right. preaching through Nehemiah. I mean, I think people need to know that Nehemiah is applicable to us today, mm-hmm. right? I mean, this... this passage that we've been working through this yep. this week and the coming weeks is very important. Mm-hmm. And I think all of us encounter pain. I mean, it's one thing to look at Mr. Buff here. I'm going to call Eric Mr. <laughs> Buff. I'm going to walk like this, okay. Mr. Buff, right? And then say, oh, well, Eric's, hey, everything with his life is so easy. And I think really in reality, God brings us those pains mm-hmm. so that we can walk through them, sit in them, linger in them. Um, to find him. And I, I remember the first couple of days when you got that news, you weren't exactly happy. <laughs> I don't know anyone that would be happy, right? Not quite. But then God gave you hope in that. And it really, you kind of went through Nehemiah's whole process, I think. And so that's so powerful. I think that's kind of what we need to close this week sure. with because this is so important. And we're looking forward to this whole series, the rest of Nehemiah. If you have not subscribed, make sure you subscribe to Church Unscripted so you can hear this every week. Hit the notification bell. You get notified when we put the episode up. But thank you, Pastor Eric, for sharing. Thank you, Courtney, our women's ministry lead, for sharing um, your heart. And we'll see you next week.